All right. Well, first of all, turn to your neighbor and say, you look good for 28. I just want to say happy birthday, church. We officially turned 28 years old as of 10 a.m. this morning. Praise God. 28 years. 28 years of seeing God's glory come, people's lives touched and changed, and I'm one of them. It was back in 1996. The church was two years old, um, in around October, actually. Forgot the exact date. I got to look at the calendar. I'll, I'll, I'll be able to pick out the exact Sunday. It was like the third Sunday of October. Um, I remember coming in and just being so impacted by God's love and God's word that I was transformed from that point on. 15 years old, sophomore in high school, and I never looked back. And for many of us, we owe this church, God using this church for our very own salvation and our journey of faith. And for many others here too, um, we owe this church as, a, as a, another connecting point in our journey of faith. Maybe you started your faith somewhere else, but you found this place to now be your home church, uh, to be a place for you to grow spiritually. And God's done great things through this church. So can we give God a hand for 28 amazing years? And we also glor glorify God for the next 28 years. We know it's going to be great. We are excited. Um, Pastor Norman texted the staff this morning, wishing the staff happy birthday to 28 years. And uh, he, he mentioned that, you know, 28 usually in the physical body um, is, is of peak performance, right? Because when you're younger, you're still developing, you're still growing, you're getting stronger. But something about after that, and I'm in, I'm in my 40s now. I know I don't look like it, but I am. You can check my birth certificate. Um, yeah, that peak performance, even the peak was pretty low, you know, whatever that peak performance was, but it's long gone, you know, and, and so we're, we're at where we're supposed to be, in other words, as a church. We're excited about what this coming season is, is going to hold for us, and uh, God's made this church for greatness, amen? But guess what? We are the church, and even before the, your, your conception, God made you for greatness. It, it's, it states clearly so in his divine word. His word is truth and his word is eternal. So there's nothing that we think or other people have said or things we've done that can change the reality of his promise over our lives that we are made for greatness. And so we've been looking at uh, various people from history, uh, particularly from the Bible. Last month, we talked about Joseph. This current month, we've been looking at the life of David. And if you're new here, you're wondering, oh, David, David and Goliath, David? Yes, that David. And the reason why David was great was because in Scripture, it explicitly says he was a man after God's heart. So the question here and the premise is, if we are made for greatness, are we after God's heart? Are you a woman after God's heart? Are you a man after God's heart? And that's, that's what we've been looking at. Um, the first week, we talked about if you are made for greatness, you have to be secure in God, who God's called you to be. David was anointed to be king as a teenager. He was forgotten outside in the shepherd field when the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king. And, but God knew, even though David was forgotten, God did not forget. God did not forget David in the field. And yet he still found his way to be anointed king as a teenager. So are we secure? Greatness is found in the security 
of not just self-security, but the security of who God is in our life. And then the second week, we talked about David facing Goliath. But before David faced Goliath, he was excellent in the small things in the field. So as a shepherd, he had to fight off the lion and the bear. Now, they didn't have workmen's comp back then. Okay, so if you're fighting a lion and bear for one sheep, you think, man, I got 99 other sheeps, you know, 99 problems, and that one sheep ain't none. Like, you can just go, lion, have the sheep, bear, have the sheep, I don't need it, I don't need to fight this lion, but he fought the lion, he fought the bear, because he realized that I am going to do well in the little things. That's what marks a life of greatness, because we don't realize that the defining moments in life the, the big moments that we look to, like where the Hollywood thematic soundtrack plays, all that is made in the smaller moments of life. And so that marked David's life. That's what allowed him to have the strength and the courage and the trust in God to defeat Goliath. And then last week, we talked about, you know, even though he was anointed king, he wasn't yet appointed king. And so he was still serving uh, uh, alongside another, the original king of Israel. His name is King Saul, who was very ruthless and abusive. So what happens to David is he has opportunities, numerous opportunities to take matters in his own hands and to take revenge because Saul literally tried to kill him for doing no wrong. But just Saul was jealous of David and how popular David was going or getting. And so Saul wanting to hold on to the throne, to the kingship. So you don't need to watch HBO, you know, House of Dragons. You just got to read the Bible. You got the House of Saul versus the House of David here. And uh, so, so Saul tries to kill David. David did not take matters in his own hands. He continued to trust God for justice. And so when we are on this journey for greatness, there's going to be times where we're wronged. There's going to be times where we're persecuted. There's going to be times where we face abuse. But what's going to happen to our lives? What will be our response? Well, you're going to have to listen to last week's sermon to find out. Because today, we're going to be talking about being made in His presence. See, really, when you are after God's heart, you desire, you seek His presence. And a person that lives a life of greatness doesn't just do things, the, the right things. Everyone say right things. But a person who lives their life for greatness does the right things. Say right things. Now say right way. Does the right things the right way. Now, I am a good example of doing the right things the wrong way. Okay? I am a parent, a father, of four. And it is a right thing for me as the shepherd of the household to want to instill faith and a passion and a desire for my kids to want to worship God, to learn about God, to seek God. That is a good thing. That's the right thing for me as a father. What is the wrong way of doing it is on Sundays, I am tired and I'm thinking about my sermon and I'm like, I have to get to church on time. I'm the pastor. I can't be late. And my kids are not ready. They're on their iPad. They're watching Netflix. Turn on the TV now. And veins start popping out of my face and my neck. And I get in the van. You know, I'm throwing kids into the Sienna. And they're like flying in. 
And then we're flying down the street. Don't look at my speedometer, kids. Peace be with you. And I'm driving down real fast. And then I always hear this. Dad, I don't have my shoes. What? And, and more veins start popping out of my neck, right? And, and then we have a conversation. I, I call it that because that's like the, you know, PG version. Because, you know, pastor doesn't yell. He doesn't get mad at his kids. That's not true. I yell and I got mad at my kids. Now, you think if you were in my kid's position and your daddy is yelling at you, hurry up, we're going to be late for church. Hurry up, we got to worship God. You think that's the right thing, the right way? No, that is wrong. That's the wrong way. I don't want my kids growing up resenting their dad for being in ministry, resenting church for being this thing that they had to do, that they were forced to do, and they're yelled at for doing it wrong. And so, so before you judge me, you think, wow, what a horrible dad, and I don't even know if I want to attend this church anymore. Okay, that's happened a handful of times, okay? A handful uh, maybe a big handful, but, but not every Sunday is like that, I promise. Okay, it's just some, just, you know, we all have bad days. And so there's been a handful of bad days where this has happened, and I have apologized to them. You know, I have, uh, you know, as a Chinese man, paid for counseling for it. No, I'm just kidding. They haven't had to go to counseling. I hope not. And uh, so, you know, here's another one, right? The right thing, the wrong way is when you get into discussions for those of us who are married it's easy to discussions like discussions okay arguments it's easy to really go at one another instead of the issue being the issue you start to bring in other issues and then you get personal now that's maybe the right thing was to bring up the issue it's not good to just bury it because when you bury it it's unhealthy there's resentment and the other person Maybe they know or they don't really know, but it needs to be talked about. So the right thing is to talk about it, but you're doing it the wrong way when you get personal. So maybe the spouse doesn't do what they're supposed to do, and you're bringing it up. That's the right thing. But the wrong way is maybe yelling at them, maybe doing it at the wrong time when they're super tired, or maybe it's getting personal. So instead of saying, you always forget to take out the trash, then you throw in, you're so lazy. That's the wrong way right there. It's done. The gloves are off. You know? And, and there, we get nowhere in that argu argument conversation. And I say we, I'm not, again, it's not like a real story, right, honey? It's, it's just hypothetical. <laughs> hypothetical. And so, so when you talk about being made for greatness, it's doing the right thing the right way. So for David, we've been looking at 1 Samuel. Now we're in 2 Samuel. And as we said last week, we looked at the scripture where David declared that I will not take Saul's throne from him, but God will remove him from the throne one way or another. And maybe perhaps he might die in battle. He wasn't trying to curse Saul, but he was just saying, God will handle it. God will handle my promotion to be king. And surely enough, we see later on, um, as we go through the scriptures, that Saul did die in battle. So now, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is anointed king. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, but I'm giving us some context here. Now, great, being made for greatness is not just being great momentarily. That moment where he is crowned king, it's a great moment. And he needs to sustain greatness. He needs to continue to do the right thing the right way. In other words, if you're taking notes, put 
after doing the right thing the right way, which is there in your notes, put it's actually doing God's thing God's way. Doing God's thing God's way. And so for David here, as he comes and becomes king, he does the right thing by wanting and desiring the people to be able to have the Ark of the Covenant, to be able to worship God and experience the presence of God. So what is the Ark of, Co- of the Covenant? If you've never heard of it, just watch Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark. And um, it's not Noah's Ark. It's not a boat. But it looks like a treasure chest. And there's a picture above me. The reason why um, we, we, we can see what it looks like is not because it's at some museum somewhere in Europe, but rather uh, in Scripture, there's great detail and instructions on how to build the ark. And so Moses, Aaron, they built the ark and it, it, to a T to exactly like how God said. And there's also great detail on how to transport the ark. And the ark represents God's presence because inside the ark that contained the ark was the Ten Commandments. So that's God's word, a.k.a. your word is your promises. So God's promises. Aaron's staff that blossomed, that bloomed, which represents God's power. And then there was a jar that contained manna that sustained the people of God through the wilderness. God would provide for them God's provision. So here you have God's promises, God's power, and God's provision. All of that is wrapped around and contained in the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant speaks of more than a contract. It is a relational agreement that we are going to do this together. Doing it together means... The presence. I'm gonna I'm with you. I'm doing it with you. So greatness is found in God's presence, being made in his presence. And that's literally what the ark represented: the presence of God here on this earth. Now something happens along the way. This is not while David was king, but the Philistines, yes, Goliath's army, captured the ark. Now here's the good thing: God doesn't need anyone defending him. God can take care of himself, amen. So the Philistines have the ark, the presence of God on earth. Well, while the fir- there's five major cities that the Philistines had. The first city had it, and all of a sudden, tumors and plagues break out in that city. They're like, man, ever since we brought the ark here, everyone is dying and getting sick. Like tumors. We don't want this. Hey, you know what? Here, you take the ark. And then it becomes hot potato right? So they pass the ark to the first city, so take the ark, and you don't want it, right? So they pass it to another city, the second city, and then to the third city, because that city got tumors and plagues, and then that city got tumors and plagues, and it went through all five cities. Finally, none of the Philistines wanted it, so they made a cart, they had oxen pull it, they said it like Elon Musk programmed this cart to go and take it back to the Israelites, you know, so it became like a Tesla cart, self-driving system. Hopefully it doesn't catch on fire, right? And then it just went. The ark went away on a cart, okay? And I'm not just trying to make jokes here. There's a, there's, there's, I'm going to come back to that, okay? The ark went away on a cart by the Philistines. They didn't want it. So here David um, realizes as king, I should go ahead and get the ark and return it back into the capital so that our people can worship God. It is, it is the centerpiece of our faith. 
So doing things the right way, the right things the right way. We're going to go into 2 Samuel chapter 6 right now. It says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Baalah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. I'm going to explain all that in a moment um, at the end of service. Verse 3 says, they set the ark of God on a new cart. So forget the old Model 3. We're going to put it on the Model Y. You know, they put the ark on a new cart. What happens hereafter? And they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day and David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said how can the ark of the Lord come to me so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, a.k.a. Jerusalem. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. So I know that was a lie. You're like, what is happening here? I'm going to break it down for us. Okay, so what did David do? David, what he didn't do, let's start off with that. He didn't ask God how was he supposed to transport the ark. Because when David became king in 2 Samuel chapter 5, you see that there's all these battles that he fights with the Philistines. And you see him also clearly ask God for direction and ask God for inspiration. What should I do, God? How am I supposed to do this? And God tells him, yes, I will deliver the Philistine army into your hands on this day. Okay, God, how? God says, don't go straight at them, but go around them. Come behind them. And he even specifically says, you are going to fight them at the poplar trees and win. So God is giving very specific directions, like the specific directions that were given for the constructing of the ark. There was also specific instructions given on the carrying and the transporting of the ark. But David didn't seek God on how to do it. So he was doing the right thing the wrong way. And we're all victims of that. We, we have good intentions. It was good intentions. David wanted to bring it back. But how many of us know that good intentions without doing it God's way can fail? Many, many of us, maybe we want to have healthy marriages. That's a good intention. But we haven't been trusting God's word in how to love our spouse, how to raise our kids. And the ark represents God's presence. The ark contained God's word. God's word is very specific. And sometimes we read the specifics in his word, and we don't like what it says. And so like David, after Uzzah was struck down, David gave up. He was afraid, it says. He was afraid, so he laid the ark aside. And just like the Philistines passed it from city to city, he's like, 
okay, here you go, Obed-Edom, you can have it. I don't, I don't want to mess with this anymore. I'm intimidated at this. And for some of us, maybe we feel like that. We feel like we've tried God, pressing in his presence. I know you're here right now in his presence, but there's so much more of his presence we can get. And sometimes we've listened and we obeyed the Bible and we just haven't seen the results. Like David, he thought, I'm going to bring the ark back and it's going to be great. But he didn't get the result he wanted. And so he was afraid and laid it aside. And we're wondering, where is God's presence in my life? Because we laid his word aside. And uh, my wife can attest to this. Um, apparently, I have a very distinctive and loud voice. Like, I know I'm mic'd up right now, but even when I'm not mic'd up, it sounds like I have, I'm on a PA system. And so me and my wife, like, sometimes when I intrude on her happy place, Target, you know, wherever we're at, inevitably there'll be people that round the corner from the aisle, oh, I knew it was you, Pastor Tim, I heard your voice. And they were like five, six aisles away, you know, it's like as if it's like, oh, Pastor Tim, aisle seven, you know, heard his voice on the PA system. I'm just loud. But the voice represents the person. And this is the voice of God. And if we want the presence of God, we cannot ignore his voice. And for some of us, you know, how many of us have gotten so familiar with the voice, we just tune out the voice? So maybe we're not afraid of the voice, like David is afraid of the ark now. But maybe some of us, we just now take it for granted. And I say that because I propose to you, you know, Uzzah, the one that reached out to touch the ark, what happened to him? Well, he came from the house of Abinadab. That's where they kept the ark. I wonder if David, or sorry, if, if Uzzah grew up in that house, saw the ark for 20 years, and thought, this old thing? Why, wh what's so special about this? And, and some of us treat the Bible like this. We flippantly, I don't know if I want to read this. And even right now, maybe hearing this word, we're crossing our arms thinking, oh, when is he going to stop talking already so I can get a scone and a cold brew? <laughs> so 28th birthday as a church, we've got scones and cold brews outside. For those who don't fall asleep, <laughs> just kidding. We're not checking. Um, and, and so for for Uzzah, who reached out and touched the cart or touched the ark, I wonder if he no longer held it in high esteem. And here's, here's something that happens to all of us, that what becomes so common now becomes ordinary. That we think, oh, you know, I, the Bible, I just have it every day, and it's just sitting and collecting dust. That no longer is this God's awesome spoken word, God breathed. But now it's just, oh, it's another religious text in my life. Like we treat it like, hmm, horoscopes or the word of God. I think I'm going to listen to, I'm a Virgo, I'm going to listen to the horoscope today. You know, and, and we just treat it like some other thing in which when we need it, we come to it. When we don't agree with it, we just put it aside. And we're so casual about it. And I, I wonder if that's why Uzzah reached out and touched the ark, because he thought, just another golden box. Now, for us that have mishandled the word of God, it's not that we're going to be struck dead like Uzzah was struck dead at that moment. But spiritually, 
if we're no longer experiencing the passion, the fire of who God is in our life, it could very well be because of the way we treat the presence of God. And we no longer think that it's that special. And so now we're just reaping spiritual death because of the way we've been mishandling this. And so as we continue in this message, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11 to 15 now, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom. That's where David was afraid. He put it aside in this guy's house, Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And then next, when those who were carrying the ark, so now they don't have Uber, okay? It's not an a, a ox cart pulling the, the ark. It's men carrying them. After they had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and the fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. Man, they were having a party. Okay, so what's happening here? Okay, so David hears that this place where, he, you know, self-storage, Hawaii self-storage, he named Obed-Edom keeping the ark there because he didn't want it in his house. He was scared of it. That house is now being blessed that had the ark. And maybe for some of us, that's what brought us to church because we look at our neighbors. They're all happy. They're not yelling at each other because that's what the presence of God does. When we have the presence of God in our life, in our household, it is a blessing. It causes us to dwell in unity. It causes us to be able to love and forgive one another because that's what the presence of God does. And so for Obed-Edom, he has the ark. He has the, at that time, the presence of God on earth in his own household. His household is flourishing. It's being blessed for three months. I wonder if that's why David is like, oh man, I want that. So he got a hold of the ark and he tried again three months later. And, and, but the problem is, what if we treat God just like a lucky charm? Right? Like a genie, like, oh, I need another wish. It's been a while since I've been to church, so I'm going to come to church, get what I want, and then I'm going to leave church. It's been a while since, you know, God answered my prayers, so maybe if he sees me reading my Bible and then praying, he's going to answer my prayers. I'm going to find that man of my dreams, the woman of my dreams, and then, oh, okay, that's good. I got what I wanted. Now I'm gone. So for David, though, he, he sought God. Maybe it was the blessings that got his attention but then he did it the right thing the right way because now he's having not just any ordinary men, but in Scripture, it records in the Old Testament, it was only Levites that could carry the ark. Okay, so if we never read Scripture before and you hear the word Levites, they are not a new Korean boy band that wears Levi jeans. Levites. You know, <laughs> it's not the Levites. New album coming summer. 2023, the Levites. The Levites were an order of priests. It's a family of priests. So it's like modern-day pastors, right, that help run the church, uh, that help, um, you know, teach the law, and help also administer sacrifices. And there was the high priests that would specifically deal with the ark, but there was the priests, the order of priests that were meant to carry the ark. 
And so the Levites are now carrying the ark. And after six steps, they made sacrifice unto God. They sacrificed the bull and a fattened calf unto God. So what does that mean? Well, in a moment, we're going to look at how we are all Levites. We are all of the order of royal priesthood. We can all carry the presence of God. But my question to us before we go there, let's focus on this question, is when's the last time we made a sacrifice unto God? Because as we're carrying the presence and we desire more of his presence and we're wondering why are we not getting more of his presence, maybe it's because we haven't been sacrificing See, for some of us, it is a sacrifice reading the Bible. We are busy, and we are tired, and we need our sleep. I hear you. But could we sacrifice maybe waking up an extra 15 minutes earlier just so that we can get some time with God, to pray to God? And maybe that 15 minutes might become a sacrifice of 30 minutes to get into God's presence, to seek Him, to seek His face, seek His perfect Word. And again, when we seek His Word, we can't just handle it like all casually like Uzzah, but we revere his word. We honor his word. We humble ourselves before his word like David had to. And for some of us, maybe it was a sacrifice being here today. For many of us, we just like, oh, Sunday, this is what we do. People of God, we come together. We worship God. I look forward to come to church And I get it. Some of us, we had a tough week. Some of us, we don't like a Chinese man yelling at us for like 30 minutes. I get it. I get it. I don't like yelling at myself. I'm sorry. And um, it was a sacrifice to be here. You didn't feel like coming here, but you knew it was right to be here. So you sacrificed that you're here. And I'm glad that you came. And hopefully you feel the same way. Because it's like, man, I didn't realize I was going to get this much out of being here today. And that's the thing. We think we're really sacrificing unto God, but God is just wanting us to be aware of who he is and his presence, and he's the one that really sacrifices for us. He's the one that really pours into us and blesses us even more. So David is blessing God. He's blessing his people. He's rejoicing. He's dancing before the ark. He's even wearing a linen ephod, uh, you see that in what we just read in 1 Samuel 6. And what is the linen ephod? It wasn't, you know, this trendy fashion that he ordered from Shein. It was something specific that the priests wore. The priests wore linen ephods. A king did not wear that. That's not a kingly robe. But that represented humility. And that is big for us because some of us, we memorize scriptures, and that's great. We've read the Bible cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, numbers of times through. Great. But when we read it, do we have that childlike faith? And we humble ourselves. God, what are you going to speak to me today? God, how can I obey your word? How can I honor you today? And that's the kind of humility that David put on. We need to put on that same kind of humility as we come before God in his presence But you know, when we do that, sometimes there's going to be naysayers in our lives. And sometimes those naysayers are in our very own households. Sometimes it's the people closest to us. And so David is on, has this linen ephod. He's king, but he's not wearing his kingly garbs. And some people were looking at him like, look at this guy. He's debasing himself. And so in verse 16, where we stopped off, it says his wife, Michal, it might be Michael, but, you know, I don't want you guys to get confused. David didn't marry a man, okay? So Michal sounds more feminine. It might be Michael. So you can just hear whatever you hear. Michal, 
looked out the window and was like, mm. and it says in scripture, as she saw David dancing and making a, like in her mind, he's making a fool of himself. It says she despised him. And that's how some people may feel about us walking with God, obeying God, worshiping God. They may despise that, especially more and more in this society as it gets farther from the word. It's, it's offensive. It's like, whoa, whoa, you believe the Bible? You read the Bible? And it's, people despise that, and they might start despising you. And so what is, what is David's response? So when David re- returned home to bless his household, so that's the sad part of all this, is he just finished blessing the city. He had an amazing day, brought the ark back to Jerusalem, and he's ready to come home and be a blessing to his household. And that's like us, right? We want to be a blessing to our household. And this is what he encounters. So he returns home to bless his household. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked and full of the slave girls of the servants as any vulgar fellow would. So she's, she's like, you embarrass me. What kind of king are you? She's mocking David. She's giving it to David. But this is the same David who fought Goliath. Okay, so him, they're, they're about to have some uh, marital conflict right now because this is what David said. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed us or appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. I love this. Yeah, I may have humiliated myself before you, but I'm going to go ahead and humiliate myself before me even more. Because it's not about David. It's about God. It's about God's glory. He recognized this. He's like, what, you think I look crazy? You're right. I'm crazy for Jesus. You know, when I got saved, that's when Yahoo, like, I don't know who still uses Yahoo. Actually, my wife still uses Yahoo. Love you, honey. Um, you know, like, you know we're, we're 2022 now. We're not 56K. And uh, anyways, sorry. <laughs> Why am I going there? I'm sorry, honey. Please forgive me. Um, I, my first email was Jesus Freak 808. I'm a freak for Jesus. You know, like it's, this is this is crazy. I love Jesus. But but I remember when we our church back in the day. Okay, we're we're known for our worship and we're known for our young people. So when you come on any given night when we had our um, youth worship, it was crazy. People were yelling, screaming, clapping, dancing. Literally, we had people dancing. And then, and then we had trees. You remember the trees, Kelly, that would line, the fake trees that would line the stage? And then people would get all hyped and get all crazy. And then even when you're in the back row, you all of a sudden start seeing a tree going up and down. And then one tree became two trees and three trees. And we had like five, six, seven, eight trees just moving like it's Lord of the Rings walking around. I'm like, what is happening? And I love this. But you couldn't stop us because we were so on fire. We were so excited. And, and so I know I've been talking about the word of God a lot, which represents the promise of God. But we also have the presence of God. And when you're around someone that you love, you get excited. You get passionate about them, right? And so when we're around God, it's not just the burden that we carry. Oh, we, oh. 
Oh, Lord, is that you? Yes, Master. What can I do for you, God? You know? But we had like, oh, God, I love you. I want to listen to your voice. I'm so excited to be with you, God. And, and that's what we're called to do. God created us, and he's created us with emotions. And he's created us to be passionate. But not just passionate about worldly things, passionate about godly things. And in this moment, as Michal is confronting David, David's passion was so apparent. I don't care if you think I look stupid, because I'm so passionate about God, I'll be a fool for God. Because to God, he's my everything. And that's important because I think for some of us, I know I, I went in heavy on the word because it's easy to neglect the word, but some of us, we're really good at the word. We memorize the word. Um, but we don't get to experience the emotions and the passion of the word and the passion of his presence. We're kind of like Mikhail. Other people are worshiping. We're watching Kelly cry and, and worship God. I love that brother, by the way. You know, when you cry before God, it inspires me. He cries during worship. Because why? Because God's moving his heart. God's moving his emotions. And that's okay. That's good. Some of us were like, this guy's singing so loud next to me. Oh, why, why he got to raise his hand like that, elbowing me? And we just get all mad at everyone else and how they're worshiping, like Mikhail, looking out the window of our high perch. Why, why you got to sing so loud, huh? You think you're good. Sing so off-key. Man, I, I tell you what, when people sing off-key next to you, you sing even louder. You try to drown off that out-key. You, you out-sing them, out-worship them. Okay, that's what God's calling us to do. He wants our heart. And I was having dinner last night uh, with some pastors, and one of them, I totally forgot, had a brain injury, and he can no longer taste. So he's asking another pastor that um, had the same dish as him. He's like, oh, what's the flavor of that? And I was wondering, why is he asking? And a few of us chuckled. And then he, he then reminded us, he's like, yeah, you know, when I remember when I fell and I hit my head, I got the brain injury, I lost my taste. And I, I was thinking, man, that's so sad, you know, to not really be able to taste things. And scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It specifically says, taste and see. God's into us experiencing him, to be passionate about him to experiencing his power, experiencing his presence. And sometimes we just want to study the word, memorize scripture. Oh no, you know, I'm pious. I can't show emotion. Emotion's not of God. No, he created us with emotion. But the problem is some of us, we all about the emotions. Woo, I'm excited for Jesus. And then, oh, I thought I dropped my mic. My mic got too excited. And then some of us, we're like, we go from like this to like this. And we're not feeling it. Oh, I'm just depressed. I'm not going to go. So we're just too led by our emotions. So you got both sides here. God wants us to be able to walk in both. And this is what I like in it too. The emotions, the passion for God, that's like the wind that blows us forward. The word, memorizing scripture, studying his word, knowing what he says, is like the rudder. And it steers us in the right direction. So the problem is you can be all passionate about Jesus, but you can be passionate about Jesus in the wrong way and do the, the, try to do the right thing. You're doing it the right way, but you're doing the wrong thing because you're not doing God's thing. And then some of us, we just study the word. We have no passion. So we're doing, we know the right thing, but we're not doing it the right way. We're doing it lifeless. We're doing like it's some obligation, like some religious burden. And that's what it was never about. 
Christianity is never about a religion. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? Through Jesus, we are worthy to carry his presence. We are a part of the royal priesthood. We don't have to wear Levi jeans to be Levites. We all can carry the presence of God in our lives. And so when we carry the presence of God in our lives, when people see that, are, are they going to see it like, like David dancing before God, being joyful, being filled with strength? Or are they going to see it like, I'm carrying the word of God? We're the royal priesthood. We are meant to carry the power and the glory of God where we go, where we work, where we spend our leisure time, where we live, we are called to carry the presence of God. But some of us, we're not perfect at it. We, maybe we feel like Uzzah where we've mishandled it. Maybe we feel like David where we are afraid of it and we misplaced it. So where is the ark? Where is the physical ark today? And what is the significance of the ark for us right now? Right? The reason why I think that we don't have the ark now, the, the larger spiritual reason, is because we don't need the ark. We don't need the ark. The ark of the covenant, we have a new covenant through the blood of Christ. See, here's the amazing thing about Jesus, is that back when there was the ark, the people of God, there was only the high priest who could deal with the ark, who would make sacrifices uh, with the ark to atone for the sins of the people. Now, when you look at the picture of the ark again, uh, it's above me. The cover was made of solid gold. Everything else was just wood lined with gold, right? It was gold-covered wood. But on top was solid gold. Why was it solid gold? Because it was more significant. It wasn't just a beautiful piece of art, a sculptural piece, but the cherubim, which are another word for angels, between their wings was the presence of God in that place. And in that place is also named the mercy seat, the, where the mercy of God would be dispensed for the people of God. And only the high priest could come to make a blood sacrifice and sprinkled blood upon the mercy seat to bring mercy to the people of God. So who is our high priest? Jesus is our high priest. And where does the blood come from? The blood comes from Jesus. And, and the ark represents the presence of God. Where do we find the presence of God? In Jesus. He's our everything. This is great. You don't need separate people, separate things. Jesus is all in one. The promises of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the provision of God is all found in Jesus. So as we look at Hebrews 10, and we close with this, this is, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is our high priest. 
We don't have to worry about being the high priest. Some of us, we're trying so hard that we have to be the high priest. He is our high priest. But some of us, like David, have been afraid of the, God, of the word of God or maybe been apathetic towards the word of God. But he's calling us to be after his presence. To not be afraid of his presence, but to be after his presence. Because why? When we do so, we can find grace and mercy in our time of need, but it shouldn't just be when we need him. Or let me rephrase it this way. We always need him. If we always need him, we always need his presence. And so I want to leave you again just reminding us. I, I know I said this testimony a lot of times. But it's so near and dear to my heart. So I got saved in this church back in 96. Well, in 2001, five years later, I'm praying every night for my mom, for my mom's salvation. Never miss the night. God, save my whole household. Save my mom. Let her know you. 2001, I'm in LA. She's here in Hawaii. And we're talking on the phone. She sounds different. I'm like, Mom, what's wrong? I know you're hiding something. She starts to cry and says, the doctor said I have cancer. I start to pray. I start to cry out to God. And I start to also tell my mom, Mom, I believe God can heal you. But more than the healing, I said, Mom, God loves you. And the main thing right now, more than the healing, you, you got to get to know God. You got to experience his presence, his presence, seek his presence. And so I said, Mom, I still have my old Bible in my room. You can find it here. And she finds it. I was like, okay, now turn to this page, turn to the New Testament, start reading about Jesus. It's like, Mom, start reading about Jesus every day. Don't stop reading. And after you read, pray. Okay, pray every night. Besides praying for your healing, ask God to reveal his love to you. So she starts doing that every day, reading the word every day, praying every day. I was like, Mom, also get in the presence of God among the people of God. Come and worship at Pearlside. And I'm going to call up a pastor. I'm going to call up some friends. I call up Pastor Camille. My mom's coming. Pray for her. So she comes to church in that whole month, every, every Sunday, worshiping God. I'm so excited. Wow, she's in church now. And she's getting to know God, know his presence. 30 days later, she goes to the doctors. Doctors are like, Mrs. Ma, there's no more cancer in you. We can't find any cancer, praise God. <laughs> praise God. But this is, to me, this is the miracle of the story. The healing, yes, is a divine miracle. It's God's power. But it's the presence of God. See, she got to know God's presence so much that she wasn't just using his presence for the provision, for the miracle, but she wanted to continue to seek after, be after, be a woman after God's heart. And so every day she reads, every day she prays. I love it. Every Saturday, she texts me, Tim, can you come and pick me up for church, please? And so we have our Toyota Sienna. We load it up with the kids. And every Sunday on the way to church, we load her up in the van to come worship God and experience the presence of God every Sunday. And, and you know, once in a while, my wife and I, we need to catch a breather. So my mom comes and watches the kids. And I love it. Because whenever I come home, you know, after spending time with the wife, going out, having our date night, we come home. The kids are asleep. It's all quiet. But my mom is not quiet because she's either praying or she's reading the word. And this past week when I came home, the kids were sleeping, said bye to my mom, and I walk over to the counter and my Bible is open. She's reading the word. And so what got her started reading my Bible, you know, 21 something years ago, she's continued to read the Bible, 
because she didn't just use God for his blessing, but she's going to God for his presence. She wants his presence. And so this message is not like, oh, let's all be like Cindy Ma. You know, there can only be one Cindy Ma. <laughs> but let's all in our individual ways figure out in our lives where have we misplaced the presence of God? Where have we laid it aside? Maybe we've been afraid, we've been apathetic, but let's be after it now. Let's be after it.